Good morning, Grace. It's great to be with you. It's great to see you. Um, if you were with us last week, you saw you were uh, aware that we raised uh, a little over forty-five thousand dollars last week uh, to to give to missionaries in our annual uh, special offering for missions. And uh, I also told you at the end of last week and in my email that I sent out this week that more money was going to come in throughout the week as people mailed checks. And that has happened in our total as of right now is just a shade over $50,000. So I want to thank you guys uh, for that. Man, I, uh, somebody asked me uh, a couple days before the special offering what my expectations were. And I said I didn't really have any because uh, we, we can't meet in person. Uh, we're in an uncertain time. I just didn't know what it was going to be like for people to kind of enter that space of, of generosity this year. And so your faith has blown me away. It's, it has been so impressive. Uh, it was such a wonderful time last week to celebrate uh, the work of Christ in and through our lives in our generosity together. So that was really, really encouraging for me. I hope it was really encouraging for you. Um, so this week we are going to be back in our study of the character of Christ. As in our reading program, we're entering the Gospels. And so as we read through the Gospels, we're going to talk about these um, different aspects of Christ's character and uh, who he was as a man. So another thing I'm going to do is I'm going to try to keep it slightly shorter. Uh, Again, if you were with us last week, uh, last week was officially the longest service we have ever had as a church. Uh, We were right at the two-hour mark, um, which was great, but I know that after an hour and a half, like things just start to wane. I get that. And so this week we're going to try to make up for that. But I have a lot of notes, and so we're going to jump right into it. We're going to be in the book of Mark um, today. And we're, again, just going to be talking about the character of Christ. And when we think about Jesus, when we think about who he was, we think of a lot of different titles. Uh, but the title that's actually used the most often, if you read through the Gospels, is the title Rabbi. The title Rabbi. And so uh, if we're reading in Luke chapter 4, where we were at here a couple weeks ago, uh, Jesus shows up in your town and comes into your synagogue. Uh, That's the title that would come off of your lips when you addressed him. More than any other would be Rabbi. And so if we're going to talk about the character of Christ and the personhood of Jesus and who he was in uh, in his life here on earth, we have to understand what it means to be a to be a rabbi. What does that mean? Uh, what does the word mean, and what does that look like as he lives out that part of his life? So, if we're going to take the literal meaning of the word rabbi, it simply means teacher. Um, he was a teacher of the Torah. He was the teacher of the law. Um, he was the teacher, a teacher of the scriptures. And so, what a rabbi would do was he would travel from village to village, from town to town, teaching um, his yoke or his uh, the law, his interpretation of the law. And so we think, we tend to think about, um, at least I think most of us, I do, uh, we tend to think about um, Jesus's day, first century Israel, and we think of, um, we think of the teachers being uh, the, the, the Pharisees. Uh, and we think of them teaching the Torah, and we think of them teaching um, kind of one interpretation of the Torah. And so we live in a time when there is so much theological confusion. Uh, We live in a time when there's so many different theological interpretations and viewpoints that sometimes we can get really confused 
Uh, and we don't tend to think of first century Israel being that way. But there were many, many, many different interpretations of the Torah, even in their time. And so the rabbis would go around, the different rabbis would go around teaching their interpretations. And this was called their yoke. Now, if this is making you think of certain uh, illustrations that Jesus himself gave, we will get there in a minute. Uh, when we think of uh, the yoke of a rabbi, we have to think of their teaching. This was their teaching, their burden, their revelation, that the thing that they were teaching was their yoke. And so Jesus' invitation uh, to people as they listened to him was that they would... Um, that they would listen to his interpretation. And he himself describes his interpretation as light and easy. His yoke was light and easy. In Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when he says, my yoke is easy, he's saying, my yoke is easy to understand. It's simple, right? So one thing that we do know from reading uh, the Gospels, as we read through the Gospels and as we read the Old Testament, was that there was a lot of detail and a lot of things to, um, a lot of things to keep. It was a high stress, a high stress faith. Um, Judaism was a high-stress faith because there was so many different rules to follow. And when, so when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, he basically is saying, I'm going to simplify things. I'm going to simplify things. I'm going to make this really easy for you to understand. And so we know from his life uh, that that's exactly what he does. But in his interpretation, he says, I'm pointing you true north. I'm going to make this easy for you. In, in a sense, what he does is he says, I'm going to make this easy for you. It's all about me. Not in a selfish, egotistical way, but all of the interpretations, all the prophecies, it all centers on me. The law, the prophets, everything, it all points to me. It all points true north. And so sometimes when we read that passage, we can have lots of other um, ideas in our mind about what it, what it means to have a yoke that's easy and light. And those aren't necessarily wrong but I think if we're going to understand primarily what Jesus was talking about, was he was talking about his teaching. You listen to my teaching and you take my yoke upon you. That's what he says in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Right? Accept my teaching and learn from me. Become my disciple. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to get there. Okay? So, Jesus, calling Jesus a rabbi, and if as we read through the Gospels, everybody did this. Right? Even the Pharisees, they referred to him as rabbi and they referred to him as teacher. And so for us, viewing Jesus as rabbi and teacher is very important. It's extremely, extremely important. But, it, so it, it, it recognizes him as a master of the Torah and one who teaches with authority. But it's also a put down in a sense. For them, in the Gospels, when, when they were referring to him, many times when they were refer, referring to him as teacher and rabbi, um, they weren't, they, they were, it was part of it was their refusal to recognize who he was claiming to be, right? Jesus made it very clear um, throughout, like in the, especially in the latter part of his ministry, that he was claiming to be God. And so many times when they referred to him as rabbi or teacher, they were refusing to acknowledge who he was claiming to be. 
So for us, it's important that we recognize both, that Jesus is, or Jesus was a master of the Torah. He did teach with authority, but the authority that he taught with was divine authority, right? It wasn't intellectual authority. It wasn't um, simply a wisdom. He didn't have an extra measure of wisdom. He was teaching with divine authority. And so he had the authority to say that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. When he said that, he said that with divine authority because he was God, not just because he was a good teacher. So uh, we're going to look at Jesus today as teacher, as rabbi, but we're going to keep in our minds as well that the authority that he teaches with is divine authority. So he's teaching the Torah as the author of the Torah, not just somebody who rightly interprets the Torah, right? He is teaching the law as the one who came up with the law and taught the law and inspired the law to the Old Testament writers, not just as one who interprets it correctly. We have to keep that in our minds as we view him as teacher and as rabbi. So, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats, mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Jumping forward again, Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name uh, Benergis, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jumping forward again, Mark chapter 8. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Now, before we move on, we have to ask a question. The question that each one of these, um, each one of these passages presents to us is does the call of jesus the pattern we see in these passages match the pattern of modern christianity when we say or when we think in our minds what does it mean to be a christian does that match what we see in these passages right so uh if we're thinking of american christianity we think of many things we think of believing in god just a general sense of belief in god Uh, we think of attending church Maybe we think of giving money. Um, Maybe, uh, if we're super committed, we might think of serving in some way. 
or uh, trying to be a better person. These are all things that our culture would associate with being a Christian. Do those things, now I understand I'm going from one extreme to another extreme, right? And most of us are somewhere in the middle. Do those things match the pattern that we just saw in the book of Mark? Obviously, we would all say no, right? Jesus, in every one of these passages, says one phrase. Follow me. Follow me. And another way to put it, how we would put it, would be, be my disciple. And so Mark is making a distinction. There are two groups. There's the crowds, there's the people, and then there are those who are following, the ones who are answering the call. Mark is making a very clear distinction between those two groups. And so as we read those passages, we are invited to ask ourselves the question, which group am I in? Am I a part of the crowds or am a follower? Am I a disciple of my rabbi, my teacher? And this is our goal today, right? This is our goal. We've stated it from day one in this entire um, year of biblical literacy that we started at the end of September is to hear, love, and obey Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. Someone who hears, who loves, and obeys Jesus. That is our desire. So, what does it mean to be a disciple? Okay, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to give you some, uh, just a bunch of information about what it meant, historically speaking, for Jesus to be a rabbi and for people to follow him and what it looked like in their culture. Because I think if we can see what it looked like in their culture and we can better understand the words of Jesus and then we can better understand our own faith and our own life. So, disciple in Hebrew is Talmudim. Okay, it's just a word that means follower or student, but I think the best English English equivalent uh, to, to what it means to be a disciple or Talmudim in our day is apprentice. Okay, um, most of you know this, but I didn't spend my entire life uh, dreaming of uh, becoming a pastor. I didn't dream of planning a church my entire life. Uh, in fact. Uh, my dreams uh, were headed in a very different direction. Uh, and even after I went into to ministry, there was a time when I left to pursue my dream, which was being a coach, coaching basketball. And so I moved to Portland and I became an apprentice of uh, my good friend and my coach, uh, Kurt Bickley at Multnomah. And I became his apprentice. I became his assistant coach. I washed towels. Um, I did all the stuff that he didn't want to do most of the time. And, uh, and at one point, I came to realize a couple different things. Number one, that, that was not the path that God had me on. But number two, also, the cost of being that disciple, the cost of being that apprentice, the cost of working in that arena with a wife and two small children, I could not pay. I could not... I could not I could not do what was required of me in that role right rightly required of me in that role and still be able to care for my wife and children. And so I at, at there was a certain point in time where I had a conversation uh with him and I had a conversation with my wife where we made the de- the, the decision that that I had to I had to count the cost and my life had to move in a different direction. And so uh, I say that because every one of us has to answer that question. Am I going to do what is required of me in order to become a disciple of Jesus? Right? What did he say? 
If you're going to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. Right? If you're going to come after me, pick up your cross and follow me. Count the cost. Count the cost. Being a Christian is always going to cost us something. Following Jesus is always going to cost us something. And in order for us to, to go after Jesus, to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to count the cost. Now, um, another way of looking at this is if, if I'm going to be an apprentice, I'm going to choose who I want to be an apprentice of, right? I had a lot of respect for and a lot of love for uh, Kurt Bickley, and so I wanted, I wasn't going to go anywhere and sit under anyone as an apprentice to learn how to coach. I wanted to sit under him. Uh, I do this as a pastor. I go to certain men, certain pastors, certain theologians, and I read their books. I intake what they uh, have to give. I sit at their feet and I listen to them. And so we ask ourselves these questions. Uh, who do we want to follow? Who do we want to be like? Whose feet am I going to sit at? Uh, think about what you would give um, to sit at the feet of your hero. Anyone in history, when you think of your hero, what would you pay to sit at that person's feet? Think about what we pay to go see our musician heroes in concert or our sports heroes in their sporting events, the money that we pay to go, in a sense, to witness their greatness. Now, we're not necessarily learning from them, but we're getting the idea. We're, we're counting the cost and we're paying a price in order to witness someone's greatness, to learn from someone. And so Jesus is asking us kind of the same question. That's what he's saying to his disciples. Count the cost, come and follow me. Learn from me, take my yoke upon you, come and follow me. Now, discipleship, this idea of following your rabbi wasn't invented by Jesus. It was a very common thing in their day. If we read the Mishnah, now the Mishnah is kind of the, the tradition teachings of um, the Jewish culture of Jesus' day. Here's what it says. At five years old, one is fit for the scripture. At ten years, uh, the Mishnah or the oral Torah and the interpretations. At thirteen, for the fulfilling of the commandments. At fifteen, the Talmud or making uh, rabbinic interpretations. At eighteen, the bride chamber. At 20, pursuing a vocation. At 30, for authority. This is interesting. What age did Jesus begin his ministry? At age 30, right? So he was following the traditions of his people. So we're going to go back and we're going to look at each one of these things and we're going to see how the, what, it, what, it, what it meant to be a disciple. Okay? So a few more like Jewish terms. Number one, the Beit Sefer. Okay? Uh, a phrase meaning the house of the book. This was essentially a cultural and theological grade school. The textbook was the Torah, and you would memorize most, if not all of it. Okay, That was, the, that was basically what you did. You would learn about and memorize the Torah. So, Genesis to Deuteronomy. Genesis to Deuteronomy, memorized. And most were done right after that. So, age 12, between 12 and 14, you were, you were finished with the Beit Sefer. Uh, and you would go home. If you were a female, um, you would uh, help your mother and your sisters around the house, and then you would eventually get married. If you were male, you would go into fam the family business. And this is where we see um, uh, James and John. They were with their father when they are called by Jesus. They were with their father uh, learning the family business. And uh, around this time, they would go 
and experience their first Passover. Then we have the Beit Talmud. Now, this is for the best of the best. If you didn't, um, if you excelled in uh, the first stage of schooling, then you moved on to the second stage of schooling. And this was called the House of Learning. This was for young men only, ages 12 to 14 and on. Uh, this was a school that was usually attached to the synagogue in their village, and they would memorize most of, if not all, of the Old Testament. So think about this. We just finished reading through the Old Testament in, what, seven or eight months? Genesis to Malachi memorized all of it up here. Okay, They didn't have a fancy phone to carry around or a fancy book right, with a nice uh, leather-bound uh you know, cover to, to carry the Bible around in. It was here. It was here. If they demonstrated the proficiency needed to move on to that stage of schooling. So then after that, you were done. Unless you were the best of the best of the best, right? This is where uh, our kids that move on to Ivy League schools, okay, they would move on to the Talmudium, which was becoming a disciple. You would become an apprentice of a rabbi. You would follow him. You would choose the rabbi you wanted to follow. I respect him. I want to follow him. And then so you would follow him and you would get grilled. And then you would be possibly, if you were one of the select few to be selected, he would select those who would be his disciples. Now, if you made the cut, okay, if you made the cut and you were the disciple of this rabbi, you had three goals. Number one, your number one goal was to be with your rabbi. We saw this in Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13. He, he's Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. Okay, so he's selecting his disciples. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. Why? So that they might be with him. So that they might be with him. This was a 24-7 gig. Okay, this was you leaving for college, but you didn't go to a dorm room. You followed your rabbi. Where he went, you went. Day and night. He traveled, you traveled. He stopped, you stopped. He ate, you ate. 24-7, 100% immersion into his yoke, his teaching, his life, his influence. Uh, the, the phrase, the common phrase that they used was that you would be covered with the dust of, the ra- of your rabbi. Covered with the dust of his rabbi. So it means he's walking down a dusty, dusty road, you're right on his heels. Uh, when he sits down in a chair, you sit at his feet. That's what it meant to become a disciple. We were, you were immersed in everything about that person. In Acts chapter 22, Paul says that he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Right? That was his rabbi. He, Paul was a disciple of Gamaliel. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, where is Mary sitting when she's learning from Jesus? She's sitting at his feet. She's sitting at his feet. She was learning from him as a disciple. So number one, you were to be with him. Number two, you, were, you wanted to become like your rabbi. Luke 6, Matthew 10, uh, Jesus says, a student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be what? Like their teacher. That's, my, that's a paraphrase, but that's what Jesus is saying in those passages. We didn't have, they didn't have this hyper-individualistic idea that we're going to carve our own way, do our own thing. And uh, their goal was to become like their rabbi. And we still see this in scientific circles or in academic circles. Um, a lot of who 
uh, people are as academics or as scientists is related to who they learned from, right? Is a family tree of sorts. And that's how they existed in their faith. And we do this a little bit, right? In theological circles, I can tell um, I can I can tell by having a conversation with someone um, uh, what their theology is going to be based on what books they're reading, uh, what pastors or podcasts they're listening to. So we we understand this. We are influenced by those that we look up to. Okay, but for them, it was an unbelievably holistic experience. It wasn't just something I listen to or do in my spare time or when I have time. They counted the cost and they paid the price in order to follow their rabbi. Number three, okay, so number two, to be with your rabbi, number, or number one, to be with your rabbi, number two, to become like your rabbi, and number three, to do what he did, okay? This is the, the natural or logical conclusion of the first two. If I'm going to be with him and I'm going to become like him, the goal for those two is to do what he is doing. Mark chapter three, he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So that they're, they're, they're being with him, they're becoming like him, so that they can do the things that he's doing. Right? The whole point of learning is so that we can put that learning into action. We don't just learn to learn. Although, again, in our culture... In the day that we live in, the age, like so much of it about the age of information, the internet, uh, so much of us learning and knowing is just to learn and know, right? So that we can look good, mostly on Facebook. But the difference is they learned in order to act. May we learn in order to act. May we sit at the feet, the feet of our rabbi so that we can become like him, so that we can do the things that he did. Think of the, Je- the words of, Jesus's, uh, of Jesus in the Great Commission through this lens. Okay, Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go th- therefore and make disciples of all nations. Wait. He said, All the authority has been given to me, so now you go and make disciples. Okay, he's telling them to do what he did because he has the authority. And they're his disciples, so they're going to make disciples. We see this, right? We see this progression. Go therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You have been with me. You are like me. Now do what I do. You have been with me. You have become like me. Now do what I do. But there's a twist. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Normally, after a student graduated from that discipleship, they became a rabbi, they left their teacher. And Jesus says, I'm never leaving you. You're not leaving me. We will be together. These are the same three goals for us today as followers of Jesus. To be with him, to become like him, and to do what he did. This is what we see in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. As we become disciples of Jesus, the goal then, therefore, is for us to make disciples, to multiply, to make more disciples. To be with Jesus is the most important task. We cannot do what we are asked to do if we are not willing to be with Jesus. 
we're not willing to be with Jesus. And part of, part of the difficulty that we're experiencing today uh, in this trial, in uh, teaching through a camera, being together through cameras on Zoom or what have you, um, I think one of the things that it's exposing in many of us is the fact that we don't spend a whole lot of time sitting at the feet of our rabbi. And most of our Christian faith is based on our being together with other people. Those are good, and I would say even essential parts of our faith, but they are not the central part of our faith. They are good and essential, but they are not the central part of our faith. The only central part of our faith is sitting at the feet of Jesus, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus. And so in times when we are separated from, our, from the rest of the body, we have to press in to that. We have to sit at the feet of Jesus. And the ironic thing is I talk to people throughout the last three months. Um, I find that we are not doing that more. We're actually doing it less. And so I think that there's a really important lesson for us to learn as Christians in this time that uh, what is the most important thing to us? Is it to be with our rabbi? This might be a time for us to evaluate and maybe repent of some things. Maybe we've placed some things at the top of the list for us as as Christians that maybe are good, but maybe need to be like third or fourth on the list and not number one. Maybe number one on the list is being with our rabbi, sitting at his feet. Not sitting at our pastor's feet, not sitting with our small group, um, but sitting at the feet of our rabbi. Jesus says he'll give us his spirit. John Mark Comer, he's a pastor up in Portland. He says this, the first and primary goal of apprenticeship, apprenticeship to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the spirit. I'm going to read that again because it's so important. The first and primary goal of apprenticeship to Jesus, if we're going to be his disciple, is learning to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the spirit. What spirit? His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. When he says, behold, I will be with you to the end of the age. Because he's sending us his Spirit. Listen to what John says, or what Jesus says in the book of John. John 15. I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the world, the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So how do we prove to be his disciples? Bearing much fruit. How do we bear much fruit? Abide in him. We sit at the feet of our rabbi. We are with him. 
This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The invitation is to follow me, come with me, learn from me, take my yoke upon you, abide in me. So the question for us is, how are we doing at this? Right, we're going to take this from first century Jesus talking to these people physically in these villages to uh, 2020 state in Oregon or somewhere close by. How are we doing at this? How are we doing it just simply sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking up everything that he has to give? Do we have hard time making do we have a hard time making time for prayer? How are we doing at reading his word? What are we sacrificing to be with him? Are we willing to sacrifice? Or is it just an issue of convenience? What are the things we love more than Jesus? This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? Work backwards, okay? To do what he did, to become like him, what does it take? To be with him. To be with him. And we cannot expect to become like him and to do what he did if we're not willing to be with him. If we're not willing to just simply sit at his feet, to immerse ourselves in all that he has to give. If we're not willing to do that, we cannot expect to become like him, or we cannot expect to do what he did. We're fooling ourselves. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are, are doing some stuff that the Sanhedrin doesn't like, namely preaching the gospel. Right, And so in verse 2, it says they were greatly annoyed. The Sanhedrin was greatly annoyed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Okay, So they pull them in. Uh, they kind of put them on a little mini trial. And then in verse 13, it says this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. And they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Okay. So there's so much packed into here, but we can't, we'll miss it if we don't go back and, t- and talk a little bit about what we did at the beginning. This historical process of like, um, you went to the grade school and then if you were the best of the best, you moved on and the best of the best of the best moved on, right? So uh, the Sanhedrin, these are like, you know, the, the, the cream, the ultimate cream of the crop. They're at the very top uh, of this um, hierarchy and they're listening to Peter and John talk. And in verse 13, it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. These were men that didn't make it past the first cut. Right? Where, was, where were James and John and Peter when Jesus called them? They were fishing. Okay, They weren't in their rabbinic school. They didn't come to find a rabbi. They had flunked out. But where was Matthew? sitting in a tax collector's booth. These men were not highly educated. They were not moving through the process. Why is this this so important? It's important because we see who Jesus calls. And we see what's important to Jesus. Jesus is not going to the best of the best. Jesus is going to the outcasts. Jesus is going to those who didn't memorize the entire Old Testament. And just in case you were a little bit intimidated by that, Jesus went to the ones that flunked out of that whole process. That's who he called. 
Dallas Willard says this, Spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. Mark chapter 8. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's a word in there that I want to point out that's very key for us. Anyone. Anyone. If anyone would follow me. He's not, he's not being selective. But there are requirements. And I think sometimes that we forget about the sacrifice that is asked of us. There's nothing to earn. Now, we can't earn Jesus' invitation. He says it right here. If anyone would come after me, anyone, all are welcome. But you've got to deny yourself. And so those of us, followers of Jesus, we have to daily ask ourselves this question. Peter and John Right? What we see in Acts chapter 4 is the result of them being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then doing what he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, That was the whole point of the Great Commission was that he was going to send his Spirit to be with them so that they could continue to be like him. That's the only way they could be like him as God was through the power of his Holy Spirit. This is why we have the spiritual disciplines. This is why we have uh, devotion to his word and this is why we have prayer. This is why we have fasting. So that we can be with Him. It's not so that we can become better Christians. It's so that we can sit at the feet of our rabbi. We can immerse ourselves in all that He has to offer. But I think if we're honest, for most of us, we just don't have time because there are too many other things going on in our day. And the challenge, I think, that we receive from Rabbi Jesus it's quite simply the invitation. The challenge is the invitation. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. So this week I want us to do something. I want, to, I want you to evaluate how much daily time, and this is easy to track. You know why? Because your phone keeps track. Your phone keeps track of how much time you spend on each app. Right? I could give you a tutorial right now because I'm helping my kids go through this and I'm going through this as well. How much time do you spend? Uh, let's just be honest. Wasting time versus sitting at the feet of your rabbi. This is an easy evaluation for every one of us to make. How much time? Uh, and maybe you're like, I don't spend, I don't even have social media. Okay, that's fine. Like, you're a better person than me because I do. <laughs> and I spend way too much time on it. Uh, but how much time do you spend doing the things that you deem important versus doing the things that Jesus would deem important. Remember the story of Mary and Martha where Jesus goes to their house and Mary is doing what? Sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha is doing what? Preparing the meal, cleaning the house. And he act she actually goes to Jesus and says, hey, would you tell Mary to get off her butt and help me? And what Jesus' response is, 
Mary has chosen what is better. We have this idea in our mind that we know what's important. And yes, reading the Bible is important, Jesus, and praying is important, Jesus, but I have to get this done. And Jesus' response to us would simply be, you're wrong. Those aren't more important, whatever they are. So our challenge, our invitation today is to be willing to set those things aside and sit at his feet. My prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we would accept that invitation. We would hear his words and we would follow him. Amen. Let's pray real quick and then we're going to worship together. Father, we love you. And Lord Jesus, as we hear your words, your own words, Father, may they pierce our hearts. And God, may we repent, each of us, of going our own way, establishing our own narratives, our own priorities, instead of seeking you and yours. Father, we come before you and we repent. Jesus, we are so thankful that you have given us the free gift of salvation. You have invited us to follow you. And that invitation continues daily. May we take you up on it. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Love you guys.